Welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. Welcome to this week's episode. This week's conversation is with Justin Hedges OBE, who is the founding partner and executive chairman of Prevail Partners, an intelligence strategic advisory and risk management company. Justin was also one of the youngest Royal Marine Brigadiers ever. He retired from the Royal Marines and Specialist Military Units in 2018 and was awarded his OBE for his outstanding leadership in operations. His deep insights into strategic and operational plans drawn from top roles in the UK's national security architecture clearly give him tremendous authority on the subject of leadership, risk management and crisis response. I was excited to get him on the show to discuss these subjects and to hear his opinions on the similarities between leading in the military and leading a company in the commercial world, how he has transitioned to his new entrepreneurial life, his struggles with delegation, and much, much more. Please do enjoy the episode. Welcome, Justin, to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. I'm really interested today to have a conversation with you about all things to do with your journey, your military career, as well as your current position at Prevail Partners. You retired in 2018 from the Royal Marines, where you were one of their youngest ever brigadiers, and you've been on a very interesting trajectory since. That's clearly led you to where you are today. So it's kind of a very broad opening question that gives our listeners a bit more background and understanding of where you've come from. I'd like to find out about how all that time in the military informed your character I made you who you are today. No, thank you. I mean, I, um, as you said, served 28 years at the end, and, but decided to join the Marines when I was early, early mid-teens. Um, and throughout that time, I, it was obvious at the start, but became more um, you know, clear that the high levels of commitment, um, hard work, and and teamwork required to succeed not just as an individual but more importantly within the teams that you were you were operating you know at varying levels i was fortunate enough to um to command um large numbers of people and take them on operations and 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 at the same you know at the same time work at a senior level in in london in the ministry of defence and and Whitehall and I and those are sort of consistent themes hard work good planning and preparation um and actually also the the importance of looking after those that aren't directly involved but you know for example the families wives um 
parents, children, because when you take people away on operations or send people away on operations, then there's a lot of other people that need yeah. to be kept happy. Yeah, it's a broad family, isn't it, the military? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, they're slightly uh, jokey saying, but we say, you know, happy wife, easy life. Yeah. Um, and there's a little element of truth in that because people are in the military, certainly the units I served in, spend a lot of time away, some of that at risk. And you really need to carefully husband those families, look after them, show them leadership as well to make sure that they remain supportive of their husbands or their wives doing what they're doing. And that must be challenging, isn't it? Because you're dealing with that daily pressure of operational challenges and then you're also dealing with that broader kind of leadership piece um and particularly i suppose when you're on a military camp and everybody's there all the time together is there any respite uh, well when you when you when you are the sort of the top man on the camp which <laughs> i was for for two and a half years i think we had a thousand people on camp and then sort of families on top that there isn't but i Myself and the, the the people before me and after me, you sort of grow into the role quite quickly. You do feel like you're the you're the dad. I mean, it's a really strange thing to say. Bearing in mind there were some, you know, very senior, long-serving people, you know, older and 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 wiser than me that were part of my unit. But I but I was the dad, and mm. I and I you know in a way emotionally felt responsible of my children yeah. and and everything their successes their failures the risks the the the, the training and education and every aspect of that but you th- you thrive in it yeah. and and enjoy it and uh, did your leadership style change during the course of your career because obviously you know leadership training within the forces is renowned but at some point, do you develop your own style? Because I'd imagine as you come out of that training and you're a newly appointed officer, that's kind of one way of doing it. And there's a little bit of freedom, but you're kind of doing it the way you're taught. Did your leadership style change as a result of your time? It, it certainly evolved. I think it's fair to say that all of the training and education and leadership that's done within the military gives each individual the set of tools um but but for each and every one of us you know you apply those slightly differently I and mean, i think one of my strengths and i will have had uh, you know many weaknesses um, but one of my strengths is i uh formed i think a quite a successful communication um you know method which which we sort of a contrived thing but i used to love sitting down with the guys and girls in a very informal way and just just talking with them mm. uh, you know whether that was away on operations or or in the unit I'd I'd spend at least 50% of my time really just talking to people or oh, what you're doing what you're working on most of the time I was actually wanting to know what they were sort of producing for me so they were yeah. sort of like right you know what are you working on how's it going this that, and the other but but in almost all occasions that would then just evolve as, and in me giving a little bit of an explanation about what the priorities were as far as I saw it, what the politics were, what was going on in, in the international stage in the Middle East or whatever it might be. But that, that I think for me became my most successful means of, mm. of keeping 
the team that I was responsible for moving in the one direction and and in, and my method of inspiring them to do their jobs. Yeah. It's that yeah, communication is everything, isn't it? In in any walk of life, when you're leading people, isn't it? I mean, you can you can be in that ivory tower and be isolated. That that's right. You've got to be out there, and there are a lot a lot many good people that are very good at standing up in front of an audience in a set format that that's one tool but then it's the it's the slightly more sit round the campfire um and 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 have the listening ears on Mm. as well and engage on the issues that people want to talk about because they're not always what you want to talk about definitely definitely some good hints and tips there and one of the things i I probably i you know i'm in awe of is you know i've led businesses i've led you know organizations but you know they're commercial they're not life and death situations you know you've come out of the military world now and are leading a commercial entity and obviously when you reflect back now you know what difference did it make to you when you were leading in situations which were life and death that's a that's a difficult question because i um i feel today in the private sector um almost equal levels of responsibility because there are people we employ Mm. and therefore we're putting money in their pockets to feed their families um we have clients that range from uk government departments through to some quite big industrial clients that are looking for us to provide an important service and therefore yeah. in a way certainly in the on the actual sort of private security side you know we've got um you know we look after the security of executives around the world in varying places they're putting their trust in us yeah to make sure their so the world are, hasn't much changed well in, in in for certainly for part of our business yeah. it doesn't feel like it has um but what you know there's one very common thread between both and that is uh, I get up in the morning wanting to make sure that what we're doing is a success and therefore how am I going today to give the right direction give the right inspiration and and advice to make sure people are gonna do well at what they do yeah definitely and Again, talking about your career, I suppose the the other one that interests me and perhaps it's that piece around, you know, you commanded and led sort of routine units and obviously some specialist elite units as well. Did your leadership style have to change and be different between the two? In the more specialist units, because of the high degree of selection and training, and and experience um the leadership style and decision making involved more collaboration all the way through the the rank system you know a lot of gathering around the map discussing what we were you know what the intelligence was and what we're about to do and how to do it um in a more conventional unit um there'd probably be less of that. I mean, that collaboration would be done in a smaller forum across a, a headquarters with the, 
with the troops less involved in that. Mm. So leadership style um, evolves subtly. Um, and back to the sort of listening is it was in, it was it it was essential that you you could um, take account of how people thought things mm. should be done, and and either address that by by um, by saying I understand what you're saying, but actually we're going to do something else, mm. um, or say yeah, great point. That's a that's a smarter point than I've come up with. Let's make sure we take that into account. So definitely a more collaborative approach, but your general style wouldn't have been any different. No, not really. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I always, you always look to the military as a great example of, you know, some where great leadership does t- take place. So is there anything you've witnessed during your time within the Royal Marines where you think that was incredible, you know, leadership? Um, I think the first thing I'm going to say that is the reverse. Okay. And that is... Um, Poor leadership, um, if that's okay. Yeah, of course it is. Um, because there was, there's one thing that I saw on several occasions, and sometimes from some quite senior officers, and that this was um, um, avoiding taking responsibility when something hasn't gone well. Okay. And in military operations, or you know, and the military in general, not everything goes well all no. of the time. And I think one of the most unseemly, or um, you know, worst aspects of leadership I I've seen is when, when senior people take a really big step back into the mm. shadows and allow blame to roll down to the junior level. When actually the, the best leadership I've seen is when people, um, although um, many factors might have been involved, have really stepped forward, put their hand up and said, actually, the buck stops yeah. with me. I'm the leader. I, I'm the leader. I'm responsible. And, you know, face your charge, you know, yeah. place your place the responsibility at my door and protecting junior people that that to be frank hadn't got out of bed that morning thinking I'm going to make a mistake or yeah. wanting to make a mistake nobody but does stuff, do they? but stuff happens yeah. and yes there might have been factors around poor planning or or whatever but at the end of the day I think one of the the most important characteristics of a good leader is the willingness to take responsibility when you are the one that's responsible mm, definitely yeah I absolutely concur with that you know and I suppose did you see I suppose leading on from that and it wasn't something I thought I was going to ask but in corporate you know in larger corporate organizations it can get very political can't it he said she said there's all political games that are played do you find that in the military as well or is it more direct style of you know subservient leadership Oh, there's definitely a bit of he said, she said. Yeah. I think um, the higher up uh, organisations get and the closer people get to the rarefied atmosphere of of being at the top, the more um, slippery um, and, uh, and, and very conscious of their own 
image uh, uh, people become, mm. I think. I mean, that's not true of everybody. No. But I think if people feel that one misstep might cost them the next promotion to the next senior position, the uh, more attention they pay to not being seen to have made a misstep. Okay. Um, so, you know, human nature, people yeah. are, people are, you know, still worry about how they're perceived. Definitely. So what, why was the decision made after 28 years of great service and obviously a very enjoyable career? Why was the decision made to leave the military, Justin? Loved every minute of it. Couldn't recommend um, military service highly enough to anybody. Um, But I think I just reached a point where I was done, loved it. But I I felt that um, I didn't want to be my entire life to be defined by one thing only. Um, And I looked up at the... um, how the sort of next few years would be. And I thought I'm a 45 year old young brigadier um, and actually I'm going to have to sort of my next logical decision point to leave. I'd be sort of 55 and therefore quite a different, you know, different options would be available. And I fancied, you know, giving it a go myself. Wow. So... As a result, you formed Prevail Partners. So perhaps, you know, tell our listeners a little bit about what Prevail Partners does. So I founded Prevail Partners with um, a colleague of a similar background, Damien, and we we set out to form a, you know, a boutique specialist um, defence and security company. So we, we sort of do three three things. We provide advisory services, so operational support, planning, and decision-making support to um, both UK government departments and some private clients. There's a private security aspect to that. So, for example, in in Ukraine, we have managed the security and extractions of people during the the opening days of the conflict, and we provide some quite a lot of broad security assistance out there, ranging from hostile environment training through to um, VIP or executive security and and other things um the second ring on the venn diagram we provide intelligence and that ranges at the lower end from classic due diligence through investigations and we provide what i say is fully fused intelligence reporting for actually for for governments and, and and private sector clients and and one of those clients probably worth mentioning we work for a number of NGOs that do counter trafficking and other investigations okay. in Africa, and so there's a there's a sort of NGO aspect to that, well, NGO aspect to all of it. And then the third bit is capability advice. We work with providers of unmanned air systems and technology to try and um, to collaborate to improve capabilities to offer into defence and security sector. And there's one bit of work in relation to the NGO sector we're doing at the moment is we are um, building a secure data architecture on behalf of counter-trafficking in NGOs in Africa. So that's uh, that's uh, um, in, in wow. choice of a sort of better, better, better way, best way of describing it would provide a front-end platform where, where investigators could dial in through a secure network and use our data and tools to help with their investigation. So. 
So it's quite a broad frontage. We're about 55 employees now, yeah. headquartered out of Victoria and have some great clients. And every day, it's a hard ride. That is a very broad church of offerings and services, isn't it? It, 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 it is. Some days it definitely feels like um, uh, too wide. But um, as you and other business people will will recognise, you know, it's about picking the picking a team, mm. choosing the, the 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 specific team for a specific task. And I think, what if you boil what Damien and I do, really boiled it down, our 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 expertise and what we do is is build specialist task forces of of experts yeah. to address the sort of challenge or what we're being asked to and do. And then it's back to your probably military days of leading that and resource, leading, leading the high managing team. Yeah, that's right. Managing a resource. So was there a moment for you and Damien when you started this business where, you know, you'd both come out of the military, you know, with all of that support, all of that infrastructure, and maybe you were just sat in a room together thinking, what have we done? Um... That that is a very, very apt point, and we had some, like every business yeah. that starts, some pretty dark days. Um, I mean, first of all, trying to work out how to use a photocopier, <laughs> uh, make your own coffee, uh, all of these challenges that you know us uh, old um, senior officers had. But but practically, um, the world of commercial and government, you know, when when people are looking for a job to be done, they do like to see a supplier that has some form of track record. Yeah. Now, we had no problem convincing people of our own individual... Your integrity, your credibility. A- absolutely. Yeah. But as a commercial entity, yeah. different question. And, of course, about 18 months after we, we really started, we had a very good contract out in the Middle East and we we're in discussions of extending that and we thought fantastic you know the space yeah. shuttle's about to leave the atmosphere <laughs> and the Covid curtain mm-hmm. came down and um, all international travel stopped and everything just sort of stopped dead for us so we you know we did what we do best is get round, back around the drawing board what of, of our of what we're offering can we do during this period of time we doubled down a lot in the intelligence area stayed alive stayed engaged and then um over the last 18 months since the beginning of last year you know had a number of useful breakthroughs and i think now um we've got some very um big serious clients on the government side but also on the private side it looks like we've well we've have just landed a contract with to provide security services to a company that employs 110,000 people and turns over 30 billion and we won that contract ahead of some of the big mm-hmm. names uh, in the security industry because they believed that we would offer a better yeah. service so really hard yards requires perseverance yeah. and stamina which i think are two of the qualities of success in in any walk of life. Yeah, no, definitely. And, th- and definitely two sort of qualities that you learn, I'm sure, having, you know, been in the military. <laughs> you you do, you do. So, so now seeing kind of the commercial world 
in its kind of reality. What can do you believe that military approach to managing people, leadership, you know, what does transcend really well into the world of business? You know, our listeners and what could our listeners that run businesses perhaps learn and implement from the military world? I think there's a common um, service that's offered from ex-military people to the private sector, which I think is is right, and and that is um, just rigorous planning. I mean, what the military does do, because it has hundreds of people employed on a day-to-day basis, to it, is good planning. Um, you know, there are tried and tested tools that have been developed over ever since the British Army was formed by Cromwell um, and and before, the legacy of doing that. And I think um, we, we're, we are asked to and provide that sort of support. There are lots of other entities out there run by really good military people that, that what they mm-hmm. do is help... Um, commercial companies of varying sizes to conduct that sort of planning and bring yeah. that in. So I think that's um, I think that's one thing that that, that definitely comes a you know comes across and is sort of needed in the in the private sector. But the counter to that, do you think if you're you know maybe not in your instance, but maybe in others coming out of the military, probably think and overthink and plan. You know, especially in the early days of a business where sometimes you've just got to be entrepreneurial, you've got to see the opportunity and you've got to take the first step. You know, I um, I think if you it asked me, well, what can the military learn from the commercial side? I would say risk taking. Yeah. Um, because I think what you've put your finger on is where, you know, people that succeed in business... Um, you know, um, use their business instincts mm. better and will are more willing to take calculated risks mm. on less planning than, say, a military person would do. Yeah. I mean, I think I um I'm a believer in in w- w- one thing though, and that is it, instincts aren't. Um, something you're you're born with. You have an instinct about a certain environment, whether that's instinctive decision making in the military or instinctive de- decision making in building a software. Because actually, you've got a lot of underpinning knowledge and experience in that industry. So when a when a um, uh, the leader of a private company, you know, walks in the office and said, right today we're going to do X and we're going to go for it (laughs) because my instinct is saying that's what we should do. That's probably the case because he's just laid, he or she's laid up so much knowledge and experience. They wake up in the morning with a light bulb and going, yeah, that's, it's the right time. So yes, I, I agree with you. It's interesting, isn't it? Again, I sort of got off at a tangent, but you also then, I agree with you then, a lot of, you know, that gut feel, that gut instinct isn't something you're born with. It's because it comes through experience, but then you have the other end of very young entrepreneurs, founders, who've yeah. got nothing to lose, yeah. and they just will take the risk, won't they? Well, I think if you've got nothing to lose, you've got nothing <laughs> to, to lose, lose have you? <laughs> <laughs> um, when you get, a, get to my age with the responsibilities of of family you you have to be a little bit more calculating (laughs) (laughs) 
Well put, well put. You've also um, been awarded an OBE. So, and congratulations. Thank you. That must be a great honour. Has that had any noticeable and significant impacts on your life, perhaps both professionally and personally? Not directly in the way you maybe um, the question was framed. I can remember at the time when I was told it was it, I was um, given the honour on the back of uh, an operational tour out in Afghanistan. Um, you know, I was told I was obviously you know felt you know proud and, and delighted. You know, at the same time within the the task force that I was lucky enough to lead we there were about five or six others that were given you know awarded mm-hmm. national recognition um and and uh, you know six nine months after that we you know we all were lucky enough to to uh, go to Buckingham Palace and be be given our honors by the by the queen um i think um w- when it, when the sort of dust settled I think the most important aspect was the sense for, in my own mind, and actually more broadly in the team that were out there with me, that that it really recognised that we had we had collectively done a good job. Yeah. You know, we had we had been given a mandate, and we had we had succeeded against that, and so it was more. Uh, a sense of of satisfaction that mm. um, you know we had done well. Job well done. Job well. Job well done. That's right. I mean, I think outside of that, every now and then somebody, you know, you have a you know business meeting or something, and and the person you're meeting for the first time, you know, comments on it. Yeah. And that you know that that helps with getting in the yeah, door. It's that integrity and credibility. Yeah, I, I think that's it. right. Yeah. You know, it's not not unhelpful, but of course, once you get into the room, you have to... You've got to you prove yourself to, all you over again. You have to convince again. them that you yeah. can actually do what you were saying you're going to do. So, experience in leadership, we've had a great conversation around, around it during the course of this conversation, but what do you think are your five most important qualities of a great leader, Justin? Compassion. And I say compassion because um, when leaders lead and make decisions, then there are consequences somewhere. Um, And I think you, when you make those decisions and give that direction, you have to appreciate with compassion the consequences of those decisions. Um, I think the... The second thing I put my finger on, back to the the, the planning side, d- depending on the level, that the scale of the consequences, is making sure you've you've done the sufficient preparation and and, and, and planning for choice of a better word that is in due regard for the the potential consequences. Um, I can. Um, and that that what you're doing is aligned to what you're doing. I mean, I um, not my story really, but I um, I became very great friends with a uh, an American who became an extremely senior senior officer in the U.S. Um, armed forces, and he he had been um, part of the American team that went into Mogadishu. For the on the day that's gone down as the sort of Black Hawk mm. Down 
uh, scenario and he just sort of made a comment to me that but one of the jobs of the leaders in the military was to make sure that when you place the li- the lives of people at risk that is absolutely aligned to the policy objectives yeah. and you're not just going out to do something because you think it'll be uh, yeah. you know it's just you know worth doing it's got to be fully aligned I think the third thing is um, being prepared to listen. Um, you know, I think the best le- leaders uh, allow enough time and genuinely listen to what they're being, um, what's being said well, to them. Otherwise, it's a dictatorship, isn't well, it? Well, well, that's right. In a way, if all you do is force your opinions on others, it's dictatorship. And, and we've all it? come across leaders, I think, that um, are very good at not speaking while people are speaking to them, but but then actually not not listening. Yeah. Um, to what's being said i think back to your very good um uh, fourth one a uh, very good point about uh, business leaders and that is i think being prepared to take calculated risks mm. when calculated it's the time to take those risk decisions and then the the fifth and final one we've touched on before it's is good communication uh with the more people understand about what the big picture is and where they fit into it um and 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 what they're about to do and how that contributes the easier it is for people to really commit to it and get on with what you're what you're doing great five great qualities there yeah we could all demonstrate those day in day out we could all succeed couldn't we but all of them are hard to, to do and deliver consistently day in day out aren't they they are yeah every day is hard yeah hard work but good hard work yeah good hard work definitely definitely and I, I suppose a little bit of reflection then now for you you know four years post the military career um being in the commercial world if you could go back to the day you left the military and and say to yourself there's one thing you're going to need to learn there's one thing that's going to need to change what would that be justin Oh, oh, that's so such a good question. Um, I think the the area I'm struggling with more today than I did in my latter years in the in the military is 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 delegation. I mean, I think I um, had got to certainly in my mind a pretty good place of of delegating and trusting the people around me in the military, but. But there was a huge infrastructure of training and education and layers of checks and balances that meant that actually when you when you just gave a bit of direction, effective delegation, you would be pretty it, it, it would be sort of follow through. I think what I've found in the business world, and although the company has evolved to have a little bit of size to it now, every decision feels like you own it from soup to nuts and and therefore, um, balancing delegation with supervision and trying to not drift into micromanagement is is an area that I'm really struggling with at the moment. Yeah, well, that's a very honest answer. But I suppose part of it is natural, isn't it? Because when you're in the military, you have the kind of the structures there, isn't it? When you and Damien started the business, two of you, you know, built it to 55 people already, which is great. But you haven't naturally got the structure, have you? You you don't have the structure, and um, you know we've got 
some of that stru- infra, you know, company infrastructure is being built all of the time, but still. But it's piecemeal, isn't it's it? It's piecemeal. Not there, it's, no, that, you, that's it. You move up, you know what you need yeah. to delegate. It, yeah. yeah, it must be. I can see that. It's a very honest answer because I can see that being a real, real okay. challenge. Yeah, definitely. And looking back, you know, obviously now out of the military, but you know, that time in the military, how did it affect your family life and your personal life? And have you been able to see a significant change coming out the other side? I think um, the, the benefits of the new life is that I have much more control over my diary. Yeah. Um, in the, the latter stages of my military career and what I would have had in the, in the coming years was effectively long-term weekly commuting to and from London principally was what my last five years, four years was and what the sort of future would have held. Um, now I get sort of much more control over that, which means I just, I can invest more in them. I mean, I think, um, you know, for, for all of us and our family people, you know, we want to see our, our children succeed and I... And I can um, spend a bit more time coaching them at sport or advising them or, or whatever. I yeah. mean, they sometimes get grumpy, Dad, yeah. when <laughs> when the work pressure's on and they'll roll their eyes. But you know, that's all part of growing up, isn't that's it? That's all part of life, isn't it? I suppose the rich tapestry of life, definitely. And looking back now, the best piece of advice that you've ever received, Justin? I think two pieces of advice. Um, that I've received that I would sort of pass on. First of all, get back up on your feet, dust yourself down and go again. I think Churchill um, once said that success is not final, failure is is not fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, which I think is universal, be good to people and for they will be good to you. Yeah, I love, both are great, but I love that final one. There's an adage to live your life by. That would be yeah. it, wouldn't it? So as we wrap up the podcast, always end with the kind of final question around success and that kind of feeling of what does success mean to you, Justin? Um, success, successful, happy family, but I think from a business success um, um, perspective, you know, we feel and um, that we have a unique offering that can have a sort of positive impact in a range of areas and if we succeed with the business it means that we've probably delivered some impactful stuff that could benefit in everything ranging from counter trafficking in Africa through to helping you know a a a industrial partner going back into a place like Ukraine to rebuild it because we've given we've given them uh, the confidence that they can return brilliant fantastic if people want to learn more about you justin and prevail partners where can they go uh prevail-partners.com is our website it's currently being updated uh, we're on linkedin and be delighted um, to take any questions or follow up from anybody out there perfect justin i've loved having you on the podcast it's been a great a broad discussion featuring on leadership but covering so much else thank you for being a great guest on the Evolve to Succeed podcast thank you so much for inviting me
Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvemembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.